It takes more than marking incidents as resolved with a message that says, Why, it's Christmas Day! To be a great engineer. <laughs> this is episode 390 of the Soft Skills Engineering Podcast, and I'm your host, James Advance. I'm your host, Dave Smith. And Soft Skills Engineering is a weekly advice show about all the non-technical things that go into the technical field of software development. And I also watched The Muppet Christmas Carol recently. <laughs> nice. We can't have an incident. It's Christmas. Yeah. Why, it's Christmas Day. <laughs> and then you do still have an incident, but you get a cooked goose delivered to your house, too. <laughs> this is my Sev1 cooked goose. <laughs> your goose will be cooked after yeah, this Sev1. Yeah. Metaphor. <laughs> Dave, do you want to thank our patrons? Yes, big thank yous to Chase, W. Norton, TypeHero.dev, Never is not just a crater on Mars with a flamingo emoji. I like chicken. I like liver. Meow mix, meow mix, please deliver. Trash Panda, TheComputerScienceBook.com, Valentin at Datafold, Santa Hopar, Kent C. Dodds, Jenny Kim, Owen Charlotte, Craig Motlin, The Stochastic Parrot, Patron.com, we're hiring. Ira Chan, Monkey Face Emoji, Jonathan King, WebTow, Awesome End to End Testing, Will Angel, Ragnar, Travis, Braden Keynes, John Grant, The Unsettling Nature of Not Knowing, and Nick Cantar. If you'd like to join this illustrious crew to go to softskills.audio and click the Support Us on Patreon button, where you can contribute an exorbitant amount of money to support our lavish recording needs and production costs. And we'll say your name on the show every week if you contribute enough. And any dollar amount will get you access to our Slack community where you can join and chat with like-minded people who actually have pretty good advice for each other. They do. I learn a lot from them. There's also a small chance that if you make the number big enough, you will overflow something in Patreon and then they'll give you money. (laughs) And if it didn't work, you can just make the number bigger and try again. (laughs) Until you find that, <laughs> until you until find, you find the case. number, <laughs> or have gone broke, please don't do that. <laughs> please feed and shelter yourself <laughs> over contributing to the podcast. But we appreciate it, Dave. Should I read our first question? I was hoping you would. Then I will fulfill your hopes now. This is from an anonymous listener who says, "I'm a backend engineer at a law at a large non-public company. I noticed a bunch of our emails and websites is riddled with typos." I cannot claim that it is metric metrics impacting or business impacting. So I get the teams always deprioritize it, but the overall feeling just irks me. Many of these come from a CMS I don't have access to. So I, it's not like I could offer to help with code even if I wanted to. When things like this are not in your space, do you have any advice on how to up overall quality? Oh yeah. Big company makes this one really fun. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, boy. It's possible you're the only one who has read these emails. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. It, it Yeah, you meant, it, it mentions emails, which, like you said, Jameson, most people don't read. It's kind of interesting thinking about all these different marketing teams generating, generating emails and then spam detection teams categorizing those emails and then putting them into a place where no human will ever see them. Mm. And then the large language models summarize them. <laughs> we get filters and... Yeah, it's it's an arms race, I guess. Oh, man. Uh, it, they say it's a large non-public company and then they mention emails. So I wonder, are they marketing emails? Are they internal emails? If it's, if it's externally facing, I feel like it is easier to say, hey, this will make us look bad to people who might pay us money, even though it's not directly yeah. customer impacting. 
if it's internally facing no one cares <laughs> it yeah. might make you look bad your career might be slightly impacted you meaning the originator of the content yeah this would bug me it would bug me if i saw a bunch of typos but also i'm sure i've sent out a bunch of stuff with typos yeah sometimes i read things i've written in the past and i just shake my head in shame yeah i shake my head in shame when i read things you've written in the past two days <laughs> <laughs> well, i don't know what what should they do well, I mean, it, the part about this that really makes it challenging is the fact that it's a big company. And when I worked at a big company, it was amazing how long it would take just to find the right team who was responsible for the thing. You know, you would have to ask, I don't know, a dozen people, and most of them wouldn't know, but some of them would have a clue. I felt like a, a detective a lot of times, yeah. you know, going around and asking people questions and hoping to get, but you, no one ever had the answer. You know, no one ever. Yeah, knew. they don't oh, tell yeah, you. They don't tell you the answer. They say, "Oh, maybe talk to this person who might know yeah. something slightly related to it." Aha! A clue. <laughs> <laughs> Pull out your magnifying glass. Start walking down the hallway with that clue in yeah. hand. Oh man, it was it was like that. I remember once in a while you'd find someone who truly knew what they were talking about, and it was like, "Oh, what a treasure trove! I love this person." Of course, then their calendar fills up with meetings because everyone wants to talk to them. So it's hard to find who to talk to to correct the the stuff in the CMS is kind of what you're saying, right? Yeah. And I'll tell you, even at small companies, when you have content that's just a little bit bad, that is usually a symptom of an overworked team who is probably doing a lot of hard work, but just it's just, man, these things just slip through. And so when mm -hmm. you reach out to them, they're going to be like, yeah, I know, it sucks. But you just pointed out three typos on three web pages, and I'm responsible for 1,400 web pages. <laughs> you yeah. know? And I have to no produce way. 15 blog posts tomorrow. Yes, exactly. I, I do not have time to go back and correct. Right. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it's so challenging. So... I think that this is really going to be an uphill battle, but there are a few techniques that that you could use if you really care about this. And the first one is people respond to not looking bad. And I think I'll get to this, the specific idea here in just a moment. But first, I have to say that one of the reasons these issues tend to slip through is because the feedback loop has not been closed back to the originator of the content. So someone wrote a bunch of typos or grammar errors or whatever, put it out there, and then never had to deal with the consequences of those errors. Meaning they might, they probably don't even know. Maybe they do. You know, most people don't write typos intentionally. But the feedback loop has a gap in it where the, the errors did not come back to the desk of the person who created them. And so you can force that feedback loop to be closed but it might come at great personal expense through the following method, which is <laughs> tell their boss. You know, find the team that's responsible for the content and then walk up the org chart and send a, a well-worded email to the leader of that organization with a that bunch of That email cannot examples. have typos in it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you must be very careful. <laughs> Tread cautiously. Yeah. But, you know, if you take screenshots of the content put little red boxes around the words that are wrong with big, big, big red arrows pointing at them so that it's very, very obvious. And then send that to the leader of the organization. I promise you within a few moments, those issues will all be fixed. But like I said, 
your name will be on that email and it may come at great personal expense. <laughs> People might hate you. Yeah. So recently at work, we we shipped a thing that had a lot of text in it and got a message from a customer pointing out some grammatical issues in it. And mm-hmm. I felt pretty defensive because oh. their message was very, it felt very persnickety. They were okay. like, sort of like, I found these issues and I I can't believe that it's this bad or something. I don't know. I don't remember the exact language. Yeah. That was the vibe I got. It was like, you used a hyphen instead of an M dash here, which <laughs> reflects how stupid you are. It's oh, not, not what they this said. Was like but, a, a, this was not a, a member of your company, right? This is like an outside. No, no, no. No, this was an external person. But okay. still, I was like, my 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 shields went up, right? I was like, yeah, screw defensive. this person. I don't want to fix it. They're wrong. Let me let me let me convince myself that they have flaws in their character instead of yeah. <laughs> look objectively at I'm gonna the go suggestions they made. All the m dashes with hyphens. Now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So there is a if you can point out the errors without saying I'm I'm appalled at the lack of professionalism or I don't know what if if you yeah. can just say hey. I think it would look better if we fix these and I notice these issues. Can we and and make it make it inexpensive for someone to accept that they have messed this up? Yes. I think that will have a higher chance of success. Especially if you don't know them and you're going through a bunch of layers and I don't know. Yeah. If you email their boss and say, I can't believe you lead the team that produces this shoddy work. <laughs> yeah. That will not work. Exactly. You're putting every layer of the org chart on defense mode. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I totally agree with that. I mean, make it very easy for them to to accept your feedback. And one you know, one very specific way to do that is to give give them excuses that they can latch on to that deflect from the fact that they are terrible people. <laughs> like, for example, I know you guys have to produce so much content. This was probably a lot of work. So hey, I, I wouldn't have done any better in your situation. But if I were in your shoes, I, I know that I would want to find out about these little things that snuck out. So here are a few things that you might want to know. You know, it's like, give them every option to say, oh, this isn't about me being a terrible person. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this this is about the situation. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. I just went back and read the message. I was wondering, was it as, did it make me as grumpy? Like, should I be as grumpy about it? And then I read it again and like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> he was a jerk. Not a jerk, but definitely had an air of snootiness. Well, listen, Jameson, I think you need to point that person to this episode and then also reply and say, because you didn't approach this in the soft skills of this way, (laughs) we have declined to fix the issues you've called out. In fact, we're going to highlight them in bold. (laughs) We're going to add some JavaScript to detect whose account it is. (laughs) And when it's yours... It'll change it to extra have even typos. More of them. Yeah. <laughs> so that I, I do have one other thought on this at a systems level, which is that it's great for you to point out these little fixes and get them corrected by the team. Uh, but if the same team produced enough fixes that you or enough issues that you noticed it, that team is likely going to continue to produce more issues in the future. And mm. so if you really want to take ownership and be truly accountable for getting this thing resolved, you probably need to find a way to work with this team to get 
systems put in place to prevent this kind of issue from going out in the future. Like maybe yeah. their CMS needs a spell checker or grammar checker installed that automatically flags these things during the content creation process or yeah. some kind of automated system that crawls their site and reports these things back to them. There's got to be, I mean, if it's a popular enough CMS, there's got to be some kind of audit plugin too that 100%. Not just for authoring, but that you can run on existing content. Yeah, like you're not, the, this is not the first team that's produced a typo in a CMS. Yeah. And that, that to me, the, the activation energy to go from I'm going to send an email to the team to I'm going to help the team install a system to prevent this from ever happening again oh, is man. so high. <laughs> it's yeah. so high. Yeah. Yeah, they probably have like a dedicated, if it's a large company, they might have a whole team dedicated to running this CMS and they have yeah. all these processes and the processes are not optimized for letting randos email them and say, yes. please install this plugin. <laughs> yes, they totally are not. In fact, that's more, it's more of an immune response when you do that. They yeah. probably reject it out of hand. Yeah. Oh, that's so challenging. But if so, here's my advice. If you want to make this your personal quest because you feel like it is important to you, then do it. But this is, this is, work charity <laughs> this is <laughs> this is going to take up time it yeah. will probably result in not a lot of recognition it might take up more time than you want if you're if you want to really fix it so if if you find satisfaction in it and in in the inherent act of improving this then it's worth it but i mean i said earlier you're probably the only person that read this you're probably not Probably a lot of people have noticed these typos. <laughs> mm -hmm. so, but you're the only person who's really considering taking action on it. Yeah. And maybe that means it's easy to fix and no one has done it. Maybe it means there's just a lot of cruft in the way of fixing it. Yeah. Which sucks and is a very depressing message to deliver. But, <laughs> but sorry. Become the CEO of the company. Yeah. And then you can use that authority to, authority to instill a culture of excellence and clear written communication there you go perfect it's the long game yeah <laughs> hire for written communication skills that's the answer yeah <laughs> really attract really attack this problem at the root go yeah. to the recruiting processes <laughs> well now you said attack it at the root and it occurs to me that maybe education is the real root and so you we, need to train up <laughs> a generation the, yeah exactly <laughs> So we're going to have to pass some new laws, get some curriculum yep. approved at every state in the country, maybe even yep. internationally. Yep. Yeah. I mean, you got your work cut out for you. <laughs> you better get started. Well, our job here is done. <laughs> Dave, will you read our next question? <laughs> yes. This comes from a, a listener named Possibly Mute a Senior Engineer. I'm currently a senior engineer in a really small startup, and I've been here just long enough that I'm deeply familiar with our flagship product in multiple areas, infrastructure, the guts of the business logic, deployment patterns, our most common failure modes, etc. Unfortunately, I have to be involved in every project and pick the application up off the ground when it dies. As a result, I've become spread very thin, and I have to cut corners just to stay afloat, or I am specifically directed to cut corners to meet a deadline. Frequently, because of all the corner cutting, we run into two situations that really tick me off. One, I see bad thing on the horizon. Talk to my team about it. 
I am ignored. Then bad thing happens and I get to have a crappy day fixing it. Number two, I recommend a basic best practice. We don't use it and do some coat hanger plus duct tape thing instead. Thing breaks and I get to have a crappy day fixing it. (laughs) I'm very tired of being on the wrong end of the consequences of our own actions. I pour so much into this job, but I feel like I need to go get my vocal cords inspected because it's like my teammates and my manager can't hear me when I talk about the things we're doing poorly that lead to bad outcomes. Quit my job? Or is there an easy way to deal with this situation that I'm just missing? I feel like I'm screaming into the void every time I have these discussions and get completely blown off with, quote, oh, that's just not important right now. Or, quote, oh, that terrible thing could never happen. <laughs> Thanks in advance. Oh, boy. This is, a, this is a boy who cries wolf, but there is a wolf, and it literally kills the boy every time. <laughs> but no one listens anyway there's something about that phrase that terrible thing that could never happen that just alters the universe it just restructures reality to make that thing happen yes exactly we designed it to exceed these safety ratings unless this unlikely event occurs which really could never happen so it could never happen and so i mean the solution to that is you need to go out and purchase a block of wood for every member of the team who says that, and just when they say that, tell them, please, would you look at that block of wood that I provided you and just knock on it a few times to make sure that terrible thing doesn't happen. I was confused about where you were going there. I was wondering if you were going to like whittle <laughs> dolls out of for them. <laughs> okay. Give them something to knock on wood to avoid the terrible thing happening. Yep. that Because that also works. That unrestructures the universe. Yes. Yeah, it has a powerful counter effect. Mm -hmm. So I wonder if this person is, it's possible that they warn about a lot of possible things. And I always forget accuracy versus precision. Is it, it's possible that things happen that they warn about quite often, but also they warn about a lot of things that don't happen. Ah, uh, yeah, so this is precision versus recall, I think, that you're Recall, all right, yeah. One of those, see, I wasn't even accurate in my <laughs> poor remembering <laughs> of these concepts. Yeah. Uh, so which which one is which one is that? So high recall, <laughs> yeah, so in this case, like, w- this would be low recall, high precision. Like, I always predict bad things and they always happen, but, or sorry, I, I predict a lot of bad things and every bad thing that happens, I predicted. But then there's a thousand other bad things that I predicted which didn't happen. That's low recall, high precision. Okay. I'm wondering if this is a low recall, high precision case where you foresee a lot of potential bad outcomes, but if the team stops to address every potential bad outcome that you predict, they will never get anything done. And so, yeah, sometimes you call it and the thing happens, but lots of times you warn and it doesn't happen. And maybe this is the case, maybe not, but it's possible that is the perception that the team has of you as well, even if that's not the reality. Yeah, like, like oh, you're there the goes doomsday old, old senior engineer who yep. Yep. we have trained ourselves to ignore because 99% of the time it's fine. Also, even if you are, even if you do have a high recall situation, people do have a way of biasing away from things they just don't want to do. You know, and yeah. they may even remember, they may even falsely remember that you said something would happen and didn't, even though that never took place. Yeah. Yeah, I think there's there's a couple suggestions I have. And one of them is play the long game of try to be... Can you prove your credibility some way? Can you, can you 
keep track of your predictions and say, oh, I think this is going to break. And I wrote it down in my spreadsheet on with this date. And then go back when something breaks and say, aha, I've recorded my it will break prediction six months ago. And today's the day it broke. And like, can you come up with something to say, see, I, I am right a lot of the time. <laughs> I have all this data. So I think you should listen to me more. And, and try to do this in, in a way that just doesn't make you look like a huge jerk. <laughs> <laughs> the I yeah. told you so spreadsheet. <laughs> yeah, the I told you so spreadsheet. Yeah, because it is it is a pain to hear I told you so. But you don't want to say, I told you so, I'm so fed up. You want to say, I, you, you have some evidence to believe I'm right this time. Mm-hmm. Like, I've been right before, so I, I think this, this, suggests that I will be right again and we should do something about it. Not, boy, were you wrong to ignore me in the past. Yeah, exactly. There, There is a really cynical view of this too, which is that management might be looking at this and saying, actually, I like the economics of this. We save weeks of effort by not implementing your ideas. And then anything that goes wrong, you're able to fix it in a day. I love this. <laughs> you pour yourself into it. It's fine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> We're still weeks ahead on engineering yeah. outcomes. Yeah, that's that's a good sinister point. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it, it is possible that management is okay with the cost of sometimes having to f- clean up mistakes. Yeah. I think I'm saying the same thing you're saying, yeah. just less cynically. But like, no. <laughs> yeah, we'll screw some stuff up and we go back and fix it some of the time. And and that's maybe better than trying to gold plate everything and predict the future ways that it will break because that's hard to do. Yeah, that is that is possible. What they don't know is that you, a question asker, are so frustrated that eventually you're going to quit and then their one day fix it person will no longer exist. And then the economics really go sour. Yeah. Yeah, the person that knows the infrastructure, the guts of the business logic, the deployment patterns, the most common failure modes, et cetera, will be gone. And life will get hard. And now what used to be a one-day fix is now an all-hands, multi-day emergency that stops all roadmap development. Yes. Yeah, how do you bring that up without saying, hey, I'm about to quit? I mean, maybe that's what you say. I don't know. To, to me, that feels like a pretty glaring win-the-lottery factor problem where you have a, a very sensitive single... Well, I don't know. Sensitive is the wrong term. I'm not saying you're sensitive for feeling this way. A very delicate single point of failure it's very easy to like one person leaves it all it all goes to crap Mm -hmm. and and that's a problem for your team and and for your manager too so even if they're not even if they don't share your motivation of of like we need to address these things before they happen they should have some motivation to keep you around because you need to help make the system more resilient so you're not a single point of failure that is assuming they know that you're a single point of failure. Maybe that's step one is informing yeah. them about how delicate of a, how fragile of a response system our company has. Yeah. You you could also, yeah. So so more spreadsheets are the answer here. <laughs> Obviously. You can, tell I'm, <laughs> you can tell I'm managing teams now. Yes. <laughs> All about the spreadsheets. Yeah. I mean, you, you can look at the past 10 incidents. How many of them did you swoop in and save the day for? And how many of them, you can think of the, is it the counterfactual? How many of them 
would have been like disastrous if you weren't there, you know? Mm -hmm. And again, that's another tough message to communicate without sounding very arrogant, but you listen to the show, so you've exercised good judgment. We, we believe in you. Yeah. I, I mean, yeah, I think if you approach it from a standpoint of, I want to make the team better and I'm concerned that I, if I'm sick, if I'm on vacation, we're kind of doomed because I'm, I'm the only one that knows how to do this. Yeah. And I think there's a, a, a clear line from make the team more resilient to make our systems more resilient. Like For sure. The answer isn't necessarily now we have two single points of failure that know right. everything and can jump in and fix everything. It's you make right. it easier to fix. You make it less likely to break. Right. Absolutely. And I think this that the theme there is that not enough people feel the direct pain of their consequences. Uh, sorry, the direct pain of their choices in the form of consequences that someone else is dealing with. It's essentially an externality problem where yeah. person A makes a choice and then the effect of that choice is dealt with by person B and not person A. And that may very well be what's happening here. Your person B. Yeah. Yeah. So I was reading this quote, oh, that terrible thing could never happen. And then I was thinking, how would management react if you went in and said, if this keeps up, I'm going to quit this job? <laughs> that could never happen in this job oh, market. No. Nah. <laughs> Yeah, now they're now they're predicting they, they've been predicting all these disasters with our software. And now they're predicting disasters with leaving the company. That yeah, can never just happen. Old Wolf Crier at it again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, can we talk about the economics of startups for a moment? Yes. Because startups are a peculiar animal. They they are hyper obsessed with short term results because. They only have a short-term runway, typically, especially yeah. this real what I'm he- reading into really small startup here, which yeah. means that they're probably not sitting on fifty million dollars of cash in the bank from a venture capital investor. They probably have months of runway, you know, maybe six months or something. And so it's like, yeah, when you say things like, "Well, this isn't long-term sustainable," they're like, "Our whole business isn't long-term sustainable right now, unless we take shortcuts to get to <laughs> some kind of economic result." You know, and yeah. so it's like, yeah, I know, I know, everything we do is quick fixes, and so this this very well could fall on deaf ears, and I think that's what's happening here. And to an extent, they're right. That is startup life. Very few startups just go into crazy, you know, revenue growth mode right out of the bat and become self-funding. This is why we have, you know, angel funding, series A, pre-series A, series B, series C, series D. It's like they keep going back to the well for venture capital venture capital funding because it takes a long time to get a company in, into self-sustaining mode with its own revenue. And so, you know, this has led to the hilarious saying that I've, I've quoted on the on the show before, but there's really only two kinds of startups. There are those that fail and those that are embarrassed by their code. And this one is still in the embarrassed by their code phase. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like we've done a lot of apologetics of, of, of saying, here's all the reasons why it makes sense for the company to ignore you when you say this thing's going to break or we're doing this wrong. But I don't know that we've done a ton to help them resolve it. I mean, some of that is is putting yourself in the mindset of the people who are deciding whether you invest in this way or not. And and maybe it mm-hmm. is helpful to understand the trade-offs they're considering when they're deciding, should we invest in doing it the right way? It'll take six weeks. 
and avoid this potential future problem that has some chance of occurring or some chance of not occurring? Or should we put six more weeks into this feature that might help us close this customer? Yeah. And yeah, they're, they're making trade-offs. If they are, hopefully they're making trade-offs deliberately. Hopefully they're not just kind of flipping a coin and saying, <laughs> yeah, now we will, now we will fix tech debt. The coin has spoken. The coin. <laughs> uh, yeah. It totally makes sense. These are hard trade-offs to consider. I think the easier case, they mentioned two cases. Bad thing on the horizon, ignored it, it breaks, and basic best practice that is ignored and then causes a problem. I think the basic best practice is easier to fix because I think it should be easier to adopt a basic best practice. When you say basic, that, that to me sounds like something that can be easily explained and and done without a lot of expense it's not right and it and is like, common you know it's not like some esoteric yeah. thing you invented yeah and and you're not it's not a huge migration to a new thing you're not saying we're going to switch languages or, or rewrite everything and i don't know we're going to move everything to to lambdas or whatever it's it's we're going to start doing a thing this way mm-hmm. and that feels like your standard kind of persuasion problem that we've talked about a lot you need to explain Mm -hmm. to the team why it's worth it and get agreement that that people will do it but i think that's easier especially if you can say and this will not cost us more time this will only save time it won't slow down development we're not we're not reshuffling our roadmap to take on this new thing we're just saying hey we're going to update our linter to say don't do this thing or remind ourselves in our pr template to to I don't know, use this pattern instead of this other pattern or whatever. So I think I would double down on that one in in because it feels more likely to succeed and and be less frustrating. Yeah, I agree. I think that there there's always a careful balance to be struck here between taking too much time on preventative measures and best practices, so-called best practices versus not taking enough. And it sounds to me like you're probably not taking enough time here on those things. Yeah. And yeah. if, you, if you can couch this in terms that the business will respond to, you're more likely to have success. And in the case of a really small startup, those terms look like, typically they look like, hey, our roadmap velocity, our delivery velocity on the roadmap is reduced because we're spending time putting out fires that we could be spending time building the next generation or the next features that we think are going to unlock revenue, things like that. And so... If you can quantify that, again, here we go with the spreadsheet. This is our third time mm-hmm. describing it. And, and really, this might not be your job. It might be the management manager's job. But you, you, in partnership with your engineering manager, should probably put together a case and get on the same page about what, uh, how the team's time should be spent for optimal business outcomes. Because at the end of the day, that's why you're employed. You're, you're not just employed here to do fun engineering stuff and to avoid pain. You're here to produce a business that produces the outcomes the business wants to produce. And so if you can make a case that there is there are best practices or there are fixes or there are, you know, non-bubblegum and bailing wire changes that need to be made, that will move you closer to those outcomes, then you're more likely to get them adopted. I like it. Well, is our work done here? Our work is clearly done here. I was just thinking about all the shortcuts we took on this question and how they'll come back to bite us later. <laughs> yeah, we just have to keep keep shipping to get more revenue so we can pay ourselves to go back and correct the audio, I guess. I don't know what the metaphor is here. <laughs> exactly. We'll fix it if later. We just grow enough. We can fix it later. <laughs> all right. 
Dave, what can people do if they would like their own questions answered? They should go to softskills.audio and click the ask a question button. Thank you so much to everyone who does that. We love reading your questions. They they are just, they are like artisanal crafted poetry and we love them. We learn from them too. It's a big part of why we started the show and it's working. Mm. We're learning. Hopefully it helps <laughs> you too, <laughs> but <laughs> that's Side incidental. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right. We'll catch you next week.